five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond with your host, Justin. But before we get started, how was your geek week? And co-hosts, Dan and Jason. You have to be willing to let the dice help you tell the story. Okay, look, this year, I'm going to stop mispronouncing words. Join us as we cover board games to war games and beyond. And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I'm your host, Justin. I'm here with Jason. How you doing, buddy? Hey, good, man. Good to be here with you. We are missing Dan tonight. He's out scouring the internet for more news articles, I'm sure. Uh, he will hopefully be back with us next time, though. Yep. So, uh, we have an interesting topic for you guys tonight. I'm calling it Fear and Loathing in RPGs to uh, you know, make a callback to the book and movie of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which was a drug-induced, uh, fueled crazy trip but you know we're really talking about fear and stress in rpgs and um how you how you get that to your players on the table yeah i was thinking for a minute there you were describing a time period of your life when you were talking about you know it was a drug-induced time uh i'm all good now turn some corners yeah (laughs) sometimes sometimes Oh, but before, we, obviously, we get started with our main topic. Jason, how was your Geek Week? Geek Week was good, dude. So yeah. uh, my wife convinced me to go see Top Gun with her, the new Top Gun movie. Wait, and time out, time out, time out. What yeah. do you mean she convinced you? She convinced me uh, because... Were you not planning to see it? Uh, not in the theater. Uh, so I am, I am a huge sci-fi fantasy guy, man. At the end of the yeah. day, like... What pulls me to movies is something that is different than real life. Okay. So okay. it's just it's just the guy I'm like. I normally only go to movies in the. Th- I'll watch movies at home. Right. But I normally only spend the money to go into a theater if it's if it really scratches that you know, uh, adventurous science fiction or fantasy, taking me to a completely different place like you know. AMC now, Nicole Kidman, whatever, when the end when she walks up and sits down and she's all like, we go to movies because we like to go to a different place. I'm like, yeah, a different place other than Earth for me. <laughs> but uh, Annie, came, Annie went and saw it with her, uh, my wife, she went and saw it with her sister and she came back and she was like, amazing, we're going tomorrow. And she bought tickets right there on the spot. Fantastic. And I was like, all right, we're going. And, you uh, have a good wife. Yeah. I just want and you it, to know this. It was an it was an it was an amazing movie. I really in, enjoyed it. If you've seen the original, it's like you know, it's a total, total throwback. I would say. You you probably have an opinion on this, right? Like many people, when uh, when the latest or the first of the latest Star Wars Skywalker saga came out, many people were like, you know, it's just a repeat of the plot of four. Right. 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 Yeah. So I would so say a reboot. Yeah, totally. I reboot. would say Top Gun was pretty much a reboot of the original Top Gun, but done very well. I don't like agree it, with Oh that. my gosh, it had so many of the same themes. Even the same Val Kilmer, Tom Cruise head off. You had the goose and his son in there <sighs> with the same feel there. You had the relationship with 
with uh, the the you know the same kind of relationship with the girl. You had instead of a beach instead of a beach volleyball scene, you had a beach football scene. That's the one I'll give you. It, but yeah. the other ones, no, I'm oh, not totally. going to give you those ones. Totally. No. Totally. So, so, but it was yeah, done well. I'm going to say was it was done well. well. Yeah. It was done very well. I loved the movie. I thought it was great. I thought that they had callbacks to the first one. It wasn't a reboot of the first one. Um, one, mostly because, they, first off, they had a mission that they were trying to do versus them going through the training. You know so that's I mean? true. So they, so it, But they went through the training. Like The whole movie is about training. There was a mission at the end. The only difference between that and the first Top Gun is they didn't know they had a mission until the end of the first Top Gun. That's true. They yep, still exactly. went through the training yep. throughout the whole movie, and then there was the mission at the end. Yep. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. Uh, in terms of, you know... Tom Cruise's, you know, Maverick's relationship with Penny, who is Jennifer Colony, which, by the way, she was stunning in this movie. Like, my wife is sitting behind was. me in the room, so I have no comment on that. <laughs> she, uh, she has a mature beauty that, uh, like, I think is unparalleled in many of the older actresses in our day. Because, like, you can tell, like, she hasn't had like a lot of, she hasn't had work done really. You know what I mean? Like you can tell some of the actresses that have worked on to stay relevant. I don't she, feel like she's at that. She but. definitely play very well plays that hard to get, very mature, highly intelligent woman that's enjoying where her life is to a degree, yeah. uh, but is very sharp and very perceptive of everything that's happening around her. Right. And it gives her that you can tell that Maverick definitely has this like enticing pull to her. And I guess they've had hist- uh, what's implied in the movie is that they've had history since uh, what happened in the original Top Gun. Exactly. Yep. Uh, yep. So yeah, they, and I really like how they did that because they didn't they didn't have to tell the. St- it's a great example of storytelling where you don't have to tell the story to tell the story, right? Right. It was right. like one line that Penny said, and then you you got it. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred uh, percent. There's a lot of stuff that I thought was kind of left up to the imagination to fill in the blanks, right? Mm-hmm. That they did really well and just kind of maybe they made a passing reference to it to kind of put it to bed. Um, and then they went on. Um, I'll tell you what really got me honestly was the scene with Val Kilmer in it. That was yeah, uh, pretty emotional to me. Yeah. We're, like, we're, I didn't think I was going to get emotional, but I did. So I, yeah. we haven't, I don't think we've really revealed any spoilers yet, no. but yeah, but uh, it was emotional for me too. I would say that that they, they did that with such good taste. Yeah. Such, especially knowing Val Kilmer's current situation in life, it was unbelievable. And yeah. and I had read an article that uh, that uh, Tom Cruise had specifically said, "We're doing this movie with Val, or we're not doing the movie." Yeah, right. There you go. To get him in there, and they had to they had to go through some really like challenging um, hoops to um, make the scene what it was because you know that like Val Kilmer's situation now he can't speak really. Mm-hmm. So they had to use AI to like um, help kind of fill in some blanks, and I thought it was great. It was a very, very, very good situation. So yeah, great movie. Loved it. Loved it. So uh, so you, yeah, go see it. You guys need to go see it if you haven't yet because yep. it's really good. Yeah, go see it. We saw it on it, IMAX too. So it, I was gonna say it's it's a this is a theater movie. It really is. It really is. Um, watching, you know, and, and what else is really cool is that these actors really flew these jets. 
Like it's, you know, now did they experience 10 G? No, I'm sure they didn't experience 10 G, but they, right. they absolutely <laughs> flew these jets and they were filmed. This movie was filmed with cameras in the cockpit of these jets. So when you're watching this movie, it really hits home a lot more to appreciate the fact that these guys actually are flying these things. Yeah. It's really cool. Anyways. So, well, I was going to say just one more thing is that yeah. um, this movie was supposed to come out in 2020. Oh, yeah, dude. And, <sighs> you know, it was kind of becoming a butt of a joke of like, oh, is, you know, is is Top Gun get, going to get delayed even more, even more, you know? And, uh, you know, again, this was Tom Cruise said, we're not showing this movie unless it is in the theaters mm-hmm. and not just like for a limited release for 15 days and then it goes to streaming. Like, this is a movie theater movie and we need people to see it in the theaters. And so... Um, I'm going to be honest. I'm glad he did because I, I'm, I, I loved it so much more in the movie theater than I would have in my house. Now I would have enjoyed it at your house cause you have a screen as big as a movie theater. <laughs> yeah. But I don't have that giant, like moving audio seven point, whatever that you can yeah. get, you know, and anyways, great movie, highly recommend it. Great experience. And one where all of the actors, put a lot of passion um, into making a movie for the uh, for the fans. So there was not one bad performance in that. There really wasn't. Um, and you Everybody can kind of see spot on. And it's what you would expect with a movie with Tom Cruise. I mean, you know, some people have issues with Tom Cruise. I think he is an amazingly accomplished actor in yeah. his in his profession and be, he has the strength and the power and there's I'm sure there's lots of theories as to about why he has the power he has, but Either way, he he puts his money behind not money, but he puts his emphasis behind this must be high quality. It's going to be high quality, right? Because he has that power in that in the entertainment industry right now. Yep. Yeah. Anyways, but yeah, good stuff. Let's move on. So my second uh, thing was uh, I am painting. I'm finishing up my war band for my ogres to bring to your tournament this Saturday. I'm getting yes, excited sir. about that. I uh, and I'm going to tell you this is a call to Games Workshop. The Frost Sabers are horrible models that need to be just melt melt down your. It's just, they're they're, they're they horrible. Bad? They are hor- They look like somebody somebody carved them out of you know box cutter wood, and uh, decided not to smooth the edges. I mean they're like so edgy and cornery and sharp and they they're just you know the ogres the o- a lot of the ogres have some really cool stuff like the tyrant is an amazing model. Yeah, but a lot of the ogres, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's my point. Is a lot of the ogre stuff is still like you can't even buy it not on square bases, and square bases aren't aren't approved. Right. But they still come with square bases in the box. So it's like uh, Games Workshop has you know they have not upgraded their ogre line in a while. And to be fair, the actual base ogre models I think still look great. I I don't think they. Yeah, yeah, I don't think, and the gluttons are, well, the body of the ogres is kind of a default across the entire army. I don't think they even need to upgrade those, but it's, th- it's the side stuff, like right. the frost sabers, the yetis. Yetis, yeah. Yeah, the, the what is it, like the gore, not gorgon, um, gorger, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyways, they're just, you can tell they're really dated models. So I said, screw that, and I actually went out and I found a sculptor who, you know, um, sculpted some frost sabers the same size to f- to be able to do this. And I, I paid a guy on Etsy to 3D print them. Nice. 
nice. for me. Okay. So he 3D printed them. I think they are gorgeous sculpts. Awesome. And I'm really excited to bring them uh, to the tournament. Uh, still put them on the right base size, right? Yeah, to, yeah, of course. To be regulation there. But uh, anyway, so I'm yeah, excited. Going to have this uh, ready to go. You had asked me a little while ago about being able to proxy right things. And um, I think that a lot of tournaments, unless they're like official like games workshop tournaments, which there are some, right? The, the Warhammer Opens that are going yeah. on. Um, unless they're like official games workshop ones, like most of the tournaments around here, especially like the RTTs and even some of the majors, um, they will let you proxy models as long as it represents what it is. And it sounds yeah. like, I mean, they look probably look and seem like amazing frost sabers. Yeah. So, so I just, you know, uh, not for our, re- our listeners, but I just posted a link in our little chat thing for you so you could take a look at the current frost saber models. Uh, and compare them to the quality of the other Games Workshop models that we have seen as of late. It's just, I think they're, I think they're, they just need to be updated. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. But anyways. Um, I, um, oh, the original ones? Yeah. They've got really boxy heads. Like very yeah. squarish. That's heads. what I'm saying, right? And then yeah. like, it even looks funny. Like one of them looks like it's got a human face with like a human nose. And <laughs> it kind of does. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's just not really there. And a lot of people have proxied, um, uh, I think, dire wolves in yeah. for them. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, which is fine. But um, anywho, uh, there's a lot of really great Games Workshop models. Maybe in the future we'll see Frost Sabers get a new model, uh, an upgraded thing. Maybe we'll see Iron Guts get an upgrade. Um, you know, knoblers, maybe, maybe not. There's probably, those are probably models that they probably do not move a lot of off the shelf. Um, yeah. So this is going to be interesting because the ogre's book, um, is coming out this summer, I believe. Oh yeah. Well, there Um, you go. Maybe there'll be a new box set with it with some upgrades. Yeah. Um, I could see them refreshing the line a little bit, you know? Um, but like you said, some of the, some of the actual, like, glutton models and something like that like they still hold up some of those ones oh yeah right? i like, think i think the base ogre model still holds up very well yeah yeah it's, it, like you said it's some of the side ones and some of those right like the um uh like like you said maybe the fire bellies or maybe the um the lead belchers like you know lead belchers are okay but you know maybe the iron guts too like could maybe use a little bit of a refresh but we'll see yeah we'll see we'll see all right, but that's my geek week. Nice, nice, nice. Um, mine has been focused on getting a successful event together on Saturday, right? So yep. I have been pulling together um, stuff. I, I've been combing through some of the different books uh, for Warcry to come up with some good mission packs. I'm going to pull primarily from the Tournament of Champions 2021, but I think that there's a mission, um, a, a, uh, a treasure mission that is in red harvest that i probably will end up using um that's supposed to be pretty good um and yeah right now we have four people signed up (laughs) for for our 16th um which is fine because you know what like even if we have everybody play everybody that's still like three rounds and it was supposed to be a four round tournament and you know it's just going to be good practice for some people that have not played right and so um, and this is going to be a little bit different, like for you even, where you're saying I'm bringing a tournament list of Warcry than just a yep. normal like narrative list. 
Yeah, right? it's a list I have. Uh, I've never played this list. It's one I put on our website. It's a themed list, um, but I think it could do okay. But I have never. I need some experience with it. So even if it's just a few games, yeah, that's fine. Totally fine with me, right? Right, right, definitely. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so I've been pulling some stuff together. I'm gonna have the tournament pack ready here in the next day or so. Totally then, worth the thirty-five dollar entrance fee. Was it wasn't that much? Forget, I know. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> Seventy-five dollar entrance fee for right. a four-three round tournament. Exactly, got to make Wonderful. the money back on the terrain right. somehow, right? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of terrain, like the other part of this is I've been painting my guts out with like terrain, um, and so I've got um, two sets now. Well, I'm I'm almost done with the second set of the um, Sigmarite Mausoleum, like the buildings and the fences and stuff like that. So those are all painted up. So I'm excited to get those on the table. Those will look really good with a couple of ruins and some trees and stuff like that. It'll be some pretty good tables, I yeah, think. Yeah, it's going to be fun either way. Yeah, so I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm excited to run it. I'm excited to kind of get back and doing some gaming stuff on Saturday. So, you know. Yep, same. And, um, you know, I uh, hopefully we'll have some folks jump in. Uh, you know, some show-ups uh, on the last day. If not, uh, I would recommend that you bring uh, maybe some some of your extra war bands yeah. in case someone shows up or is, like, walking around and was like, hey, what you guys doing? And like, dude, you know, let's jump in. Let's do this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I'm, I'm bringing one for myself, too, just in case, like, we have an odd amount. Yeah. You know, I can play as there well. There you go. So it'll be good. Sweet. Uh, looking forward to it. So, yeah, that was basically our Geek Week. So, uh, let's get to the news. I only have one item since our main man, Dan, is, like we said, out scouring the interwebs for geek news everywhere. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, there's kind of two pieces. Since we've talked, uh, the first thing I want to talk about is that the events are open for Gen Con um, to go in and, and reserve your stuff. If you uh, haven't yep. reserved anything now... Um, it's probably a lot of stuff that's sold out, which we have found ourselves. That's how it is every year. Yeah, exactly. But there's still a lot of really good stuff out there um, to get into. Uh, and, in fact, I think that as we went through and looked at um, filling our, our Gen Con holes, uh, I'm playing five RPGs I've never played before. So I'm excited about that. Right. I think I'm playing uh, several I've never played, too. So I, I love playing new RPGs. I love finding an indie RPG system at, at Gen Con. Yeah. That's where we found Shadow of the Demon Exactly, Line. exactly. And, you know, I like um, I like the idea that, you know, I want to play things that I normally wouldn't play at home. So there's tons of D&D that you can go play, but I play D&D every month here, you know, so... Mm -hmm. Like yeah. why 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 go do that when I could try yeah. out Zweihander, which I'm very excited about, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. or play like Legend of the Five Rings, which I haven't played since Catacon. Yep. So you know, lots of good stuff. So if you are ready for Gen Con and you or you haven't even bought a badge yet, but you're thinking of going, go check it out. The the events are open and there's plenty of plenty of things to play there. Which, by the way, you and I are playing a Warcry tournament there. We are. Should so be that'll fun. be fun. Yep. That'll be a lot of fun. Yep. Um, the other big news is that the Horus Heresy, um, which is the new, brand new version of Warhammer 30K, is up for pre-order this weekend, and um, they've been having basically this like 20-day uh, build-up where they've been doing spotlights on each of the Space Marine chapters. 
So Warhammer th- Warhammer 30k does not involve um, any of the Xenos or um, demon factions. So like you don't have any like um, orcs, you don't have any Necrons, you don't have any um, corn uh, demons or Nurgle stuff or anything like that. It's all focused on Space Marine, Loyalist, and Traitor Legions. So um, I was telling Jason before the beginning of the show that I think that the Horus Heresy lore of 40k is maybe some of the most amazing lore in gaming. Um, just they've got a lot of really cool stories fleshed out, you know, and how things happened and, you know, how the Primarchs came to be and then their Space Marines and how they linked up with their with their legions and, you know, how how they are all different, like, good at different things. Like, for example, Raven Guard's all about stealth and assassination versus... Um, Versus like uh, the um, uh, man, why am I, uh, white scars, which are all about like mobility and like you know hordes of motorcycles and chainsaws, right? <laughs> like <laughs> mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. So anyway, um, basically they've got a box that comes out with two complete armies, and you can paint those armies any way that you want. Right, so all the armies have the same models essentially, and uh, then they have different abilities that will distinguish them on the field of battle. So, and they've all got apparently Mark Three armor, which is, from what I understand, like a big deal because that's really around like you know thirtieth millennium of when this was happening, um, versus the Mark Nine armor that you see in some of the Primaris models nowadays. Right. Um, anyway, so. Very cool stuff. The box retails for like $300. I don't doubt it based on what's inside it. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there. There's a lot of stuff in there. Like you get a tank and there's like some basically um, like a prototype dreadnought style guys, right? Um, And uh, then there's um, other upgrade boxes that you can get as well. So, like, those will give you, like, um, what will they give you? They'll give you, like, uh, new weapons, like, upgraded weapons, you know, heavy weapons. It'll give you, like, different um, armor look packs and things like that. So, it sounds like there's a lot of good stuff. There's um, some major books that are coming out that you can get with it. And, uh, yeah, I mean... There's a lot in the box, so it's it is two hundred dollars. That's a box that I would say though that you need to find a friend and then split the army with, right? Because there's two full armies in there, and uh, and then just kind of go from there. So mm-hmm. it looks very cool though. Um, it, it's like it the collector in me says like get all the armies and make a you know legion for all of them out there, <laughs> right? There's so there's 20 legions. We don't know what happened to two of them. That's redacted and classified. So there's 18 legions out there that you could make an army from. So a lot of really cool stuff. So, yep, that's out there. So if you're interested, go to thehorusheresy.com. That's uh, Games Workshop's page that's dedicated to this. And uh, there's a lot of buzz about it right now because obviously it's coming out and kind of revamping, completely revamping the Warhammer 30K game. So, pretty cool. Yeah. All right, cool. 
Uh, that's all the news I have, unless you got anything, Jason. Nope, nope, no, I don't think so. I think uh, you sign up for your Gen Con events and uh, make sure you get into some fun games. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, well, let's get into our main topic. So uh, what we want to talk about is fear and stress mechanics uh, in games and, and kind of how they work. So I, I think it's important, though, that uh, there's the mechanic side of it, and then there's sort of the narrative side of fear and stress, right? Mm -hmm. And I think you have to have both of them to pull it off effectively because if you if you just do the mechanics version of that, it's just another role the players have to make. Right, like it just kind of feels like okay, well, I'm just doing a fear check, and they and they kind of roll for it or whatever they do, and it doesn't really mean anything to them. Um, and if you just have the narrative fear stuff, they may feel psychologically like, oh my gosh, something bad's about to happen. But if nothing actually happens to the character, if they don't have to do anything, well, then like, what's the point, right, um, of doing I, it? Yeah. So remember, you're playing a role playing game. You know, mechanics yeah. are there to help drive and uh, adjudicate the narrative when you reach when you reach an impasse uh, in being able to progress just from a story perspective. So if um, you know if you have fear in terms of mechanics without any narrative aspect to it, then it you know it loses its salt. It loses yeah. its flavor. Um, I think, though, that uh, you can, I would say that conversely, you can actually have fear from a narrative perspective without mechanics if you have a good group at the table that embraces the role play of the, uh, of the thing. But, um, but if you have a group that maybe needs that tangible drive to help them kind of adjudicate what's happening with their character rather than maybe... Maybe not have as much of a of an imagination uh, mm -hmm. to play along with it. Then having a fear mechanic that has narrative uh, tied into well, that has narrative and mechanic tied together, I think can absolutely help in a system. Which I think is what we want to talk about. Yeah, and and you know, I mean, it's it's interesting because uh, what was it back in twenty eighteen when we did a catacon. Um, we uh, did a whole panel on introducing fear into your campaign and we based it off of the um the trajectory of fear by ash law right this is kind of a famous document that's out there that talks about how to build and maintain a kind of fear throughout the campaign right you can't just go all in like in the first five minutes mm -hmm. um you have to actually like grow it and and build it and, and and we'll talk about this in a little bit but um you know like the first time that that your players may suspect that something is wrong yeah you don't need to make have them make a role there right you're just setting the you're setting the scene so you don't really need the mechanics there either right this is all like part of role playing but i would absolutely say like when you're hitting the climax of like fear and stuff like that like, there should be some sort of consequence for the players to like have to roll or figure out what's happening with their own psyche in that moment. Right. Um, cause you've built it up to that point that there's kind of a climactic moment that something needs to happen with your character. They need to make a choice about what they're doing. So that, that's kind of my thought behind that too, a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we could probably still find that episode. Cause I think we, rec we recorded that, um, that um uh, event at a catacon and posted right. it as an episode it's probably out there on the internet somewhere 
yeah, to do. Right. But you can also find if you just search for traject the trajectory of fear by Ashlaw, you'll find it. You know, on Reddit, you'll find it's just a PDF that's yeah. floating around at this point. But uh, I think the key there is the word catharsis. And right. you know, it's all about cathar. It's all about building a sense of tension subconsciously in the players, and then depending on what you want to achieve having that uh, cliff where they actually fall over the cliff and they get that they get that release that cathartic release of stress so they can continue on for the next you know act or scene right but, um, they did leave it yeah go ahead I was gonna say you find this a lot like if you ever read like Cthulhu right like by HP Lovecraft or you know any of the any of the um, horror stories that he writes you know there's always like the, the protagonist in the stories is always kind of like making like one step, one or two steps deeper into the pool that like, you know, seems to throw them over the edge, but then they realize that they kind of can collect themselves and they're realizing that they know something that other people mm -hmm. don't. And they're, you know, they're like, like, like we don't understand. They need to know more. And then it kind of pushes them a little bit further and a little bit further until, like you said, they get to the edge of the cliff when they're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And they fall over that cliff. Mm -hmm. And that's when the descent into madness or craziness or, you know, something happens. Um, and, uh, but it builds, right? And, and I think with like a, an RPG, you can't just stumble into fear, right? Like you have to be very deliberate about it when you're make, when you're doing your planning, when you're doing your um, prep work and stuff like that. You have to know when and where to build the fear um and kind of the different phases that you have to go through it has to be deliver deliberate for it to be effective you can't just be like oh surprise you guys are scared now you know <laughs> right and, and i don't think it needs to be it doesn't need to be like you know strictly planned planned out but uh you should you should have a general idea of when the situations are going to occur that could cause players to to build their fear like whenever i run a mothership you know i don't necessarily plan out okay this is this is where they're going to be the most afraid it's right. really just you know this is this is the build up from something's off to okay something's creepy to this is very dangerous to i have no idea what's going on but i think something really bad is around the corner uh and, and then at that point half the time i don't even know what's around the corner i just let the players figure it out for me yeah, you know, but uh, but there there is a a general idea of a buildup of you know a degradation in their lives, uh, right? As they play the game and the, of the players' lives, not 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 of the characters' lives, not that the actual players, right? <laughs> Everybody's yeah. having a great time and, the, and their lives are improving while we're playing the game. But anyways, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I was gonna say that uh, it, as we were going through the new Alien book um, from Free League Publishing. Uh, fear and stress is obviously a key component in that game, and we'll kind of get into the mechanics of that in a little bit. But one of the things that I thought was amazing is they had a um, they had a guide in there that sort of walked you through some of the different phases that um, that they wanted you to to kind of understand how it worked. Um, I'm trying to post it here for Jason to be able to look at, but it's not working for me. Yeah, I've got the book. Just, uh, what page is it? Okay, it's on page 206. 206, yep. Yeah. So um, it starts, uh, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. like th their thing says, you know, 
I mean, first off, obviously, this is an alien IP, so their first step is, like, riff from the movies, right? Like, if you've got good source material that, like, was tense when you watched it or read about it, like, play on that, right? Like, you don't have to reinvent the wheel um, of, like, what is going to be scary in this world. Like, we all know that, you know, facing down a xenomorph is freaky as crap, or... We all know that uh, seeing acid blood drip down through the ceiling is cause for major concern, <laughs> right? Because mm-hmm. yep. we know that. So, like, if you're planning an IP, like, say, a Call of Cthulhu or something like that, you know, you can drop hints that are callbacks to some of the literature and stuff out there. You don't have to, re- like I said, reinvent the wheel because your players will hopefully pick up on that and, and know, like, uh-oh, uh-oh, like, something's not right here. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I. This is a real. So we talked about the first one, right? Riff from the yep. movies. The second one, limiting their resources. That's that's always a really easy way to put attention on there. But but I yeah. think you got to be careful there because uh, you have to get you have to actually give import to the resources. Uh, yep. I'll tell you how many times I played D and D. It's like, all right, we're gonna count arrows, and then after the first session, you just <laughs> you have an infinite quiver. Right. right. Nobody right. cares. Exactly. Uh, all right, we're gonna make sure that we can uh, we can scrounge for food and water. How much food? How many rations do you have? And then after the first after the first session, you have infinite rations because right. people just like it's busy work sometimes yeah. to yeah. do that. So how do you make you know you, how you make resources feel limited uh, can be tricky, but it can also be a way to to kind of help them feel like uh, I don't have enough stuff to you know maybe get through what's really going to happen if I try to get all the way to the end of this hall. Yeah. And I was thinking like in a, in a game like D and D where you feel like you have infinite rations. Well, that might be true if you're out and about adventuring all over the place and mm-hmm. j- jumping into cities. But what happens when you get into a dungeon, right? It's not like you can stop at your local quickie Mart and, and pick up some more rations there. <laughs> yeah. So what happens if like you go for a rest and then, you know, you say, Hey, after the rest, you pick up your pack and you notice that, um, Half of your rations are gone. Yeah, so I think that's and that's the kind of stuff that makes a good way to do it. It's put a narrative behind it, not just a mechanic, right? If you just say, "Okay, uh, it's the end of the day. Uh, You wake up. uh, You're all hungry. So let's do some survival checks and see how much food you can get." Then you're just playing the mechanics of the game, right? and And it's not fun. I mean, I've had I've had players tell me at the end of sessions, like, "Can we just not do that?" Right. It's just like it's just busy work but if you say you know just assume it's there and you add the stress in like you did like uh, you wake up the next morning you find that you know a third of your food is left something came in the middle of the night and took all of your stuff then you don't have to play the mechanic around it but you've hit the narrative behind it and you can explore that narrative with the characters uh yeah and that that uh ratchets up the tension of like wait what yeah, something's <laughs> haunt. Something's hunting us. Or, something, you know. Yeah, something like something's bad. And and now, like I, uh, I don't think we're gonna have enough food to get through this thing, mm-hmm. right? So that there's all of a sudden questions arise about like, well, how are we gonna do this now? You know, um, which is good. Uh, the third, the third principle that they have here is stay in the shadows, and I think that this kind of builds uh, in with what was in that. Um, uh, treaty by uh ash law which is you can't ramp up you can't go from zero to ten like in one fell swoop like it's it becomes comical at that point you know what i mean like like oh my gosh this thing just jumped out at me like what the heck 
Um, it's got to be like uh, one one of my favorite stories in um, Cthulhu or, or in in H.P. Lovecraft stories, and I'm I'm forgetting the name, but it's the guy that inherits the mansion, and he hears rats in the walls. In fact, I think it might be called rats. Yeah, in the it's walls. called rats in the walls. Um, and he hears the rats in the walls, right? And like it starts to drive him crazy. Like he hears it, he hears it and it gets louder. It gets louder. But every time he goes to check it, like he doesn't find anything like there's nothing there. Right. So that's what I think it means by staying in the shadows. Right. Is, is like you hear something or something pings on your, on your sensor. But then when you check it out, nothing's there. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Weird. You know? Um, and that, that will ratchet up the tension as well. You know, obviously. Yeah, that one ties into the next one very well, which is to increase the pressure, right? Um, so if, you know, things start to go wrong, uh, you know, it says, you know, when things start to go wrong, basically let them all go wrong at once. Like it, when it starts to hit the fan, let it hit the fan, right? Yeah. It's uh, stay in the shadows for a little bit. But then once that once that uh, cookie starts to crumble, man, let it you let it crumble. You let those dominoes start falling, and that's going to really increase the pressure on the players – um, you know, the not only does the system, not only does the power go out in the, you know, the the leg of the station they're in, but the O2 also starts to drain. Right. Uh, exactly. you know, at the same time. So it's, it's like, holy crap, now we we got to really figure this out and we got a time limit to try to figure this out or we're all going to suffocate. And we only have a third of our rations left. Yeah, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I and Billy's that, missing. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I think that you, uh, in particular, do a great job of this in your mothership. Oh, it's um, really fun. Scenarios, yeah. You know, um, where where when it starts raining, it starts pouring. And it's like, oh, crap. Oh, crap. Oh, crap. Oh, like, <laughs> and it's like, what else can go wrong? And then it does, you know, and so yeah, right. <laughs> um, that pressure works. Uh, but here's a key element, and this is number five principle, let them breathe, right? Mm -hmm. And so you ratchet up that pressure, things go wrong, and then, like, you sort of let them, quote, unquote, fix it. Okay, all right, we got the O2 fixed, right? And we got the power restored a little bit. We're on generator mm -hmm. backup, but we're it's still it's better than nothing, right? Yeah, you got, like, and, maybe another hour or two of lights. Right. So you're like, okay, okay, I think we can make it, guys, right? You almost have to give them that thread of hope, right? That, like, oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, I think we can totally do it. Yeah, like, we that can make false it. sense of security. Exactly, exactly. So um, that's, a, that's a key part of it, and, and Ash will tell you that in his treaty as well. You have to ratchet up, and you have to bring it down. Like, you have to, it's almost like filling a balloon. You fill it up a quarter of the way, you let out, like, an eighth. You fill it up to a third, you let it down to a quarter. Right. Um, and I think the key is, is that you don't let out all of the tension. You don't you don't take it back down to zero. Like if you start at zero and you go up to four, you bring it back down to two. Right. There's still something going on in the background. And then from two, you may get up to seven and you bring that back down to five. You know, like so you you kind of like expand and then retract a little bit. You got to give them wins, though, and you got to make it possible yeah. for them to fix to, to fix the situations otherwise the they're never going to believe there's any way out of anything and then and right then it, and then it just starts to they be, become jaded to the fear yeah they're like oh what's the dm gonna do to us now all right, right? here we go yeah, yeah. not even try this welder because i'm sure it's not gonna hold so <laughs> the welder oh i remember we were playing mothership and that welder like got mutated to my arm yep 
So it just became this arm welder, and then I ended up cutting my friend's head off with it. That was yep. fantastic. Yeah, good, it was times. good times. Good times. <laughs> good times. Uh, so the sixth, the sixth part of this, right? So you let him breathe a little bit, and I think this actually relates to something that you just said, meaning that you need to let them get some wins. Um, here it says the sixth thing is fuel their agendas. So let them feel like they're accomplishing the things that they need to accomplish. Right. And, um, do what they need to do. Uh, I think that's uh, very important. Yeah. You know, I, I do this in mothership, um, in a way that is a little specific to the mothership system, but I think it is applicable across the board and mothership. There's two things I do whenever I run a system after everybody's made their characters, we do two things. We roll for a patch, uh, which is literally like an arm patch or like a yeah. jacket patch. Yeah, right? yeah. And that um, that patch gives you a little bit of sense of your character and a little bit of background on right. your character. And the other thing we, we do, which I think is more important, um, is uh, we roll on a nightmare table. Right. Uh, so everybody that has ever played Mothership with me... When you when right when we start the game, everyone has had a nightmare, and that nightmare uh, is sets a very strong role play for that for your character. But it also tells me what I can do to pull on the strings of your character mm-hmm. down down the road. Mm-hmm. And I yep. use that kind of as the as the agenda for that character. Uh, and we had a we had a we played one once with uh, one of our friend our buddy Nick, and he had had a nightmare that he. Um, and you know sometimes they're very vague. Like he had he had a a ball in his hand, and I think it said, um, you know, he pulled the pin on the ball and let go. And as we were playing the campaign, or not the campaign, but the session, he started to, you know, get a lot of stress. He was panicking, and his That's character right. really started to go like really off the deep end. And and while everybody was fighting all these creepy crawlies and trying to knock him off. He just decided, all right, it's time to live my nightmare, and he pulled a grenade out, pulled the pin, and dropped it right at his feet. <laughs> That's right. Oh, he was also scared to death of me, of the android. Yeah. That's like one of the fears that he rolled. Yeah, it too, was. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he's like, I'm just going to end this, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, 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 this isn't going well. Let's just finish this off. Oh, but uh, but th- So that's maybe a little bit different, but in Mothership, you know, it's really about everybody kind of has a lot of baggage. Yeah. And so the, their agenda is their baggage. If you're playing something like Star Wars, um, you know, or uh, or or D and D, their agenda could be, you know, they've got a long lost, you know, sibling, or maybe there's a quest that's specific or pertinent to them. Roll that in somehow and let them let them kind of think about think about that. Doesn't mean you have to uh, uh, deer, uh, steer the engagement around their side quest, but just know a little bit about their character that lets them. Let's them play their character for a little bit as part of the breathing. They can get yeah. back to role play. They can think about their character development a little bit. You're giving them just a little bit of a valley to take a time out in. Yeah, yeah. They need they need that. And again, ratchet it back, but you can't take the, all the tension out, right? Like the tension has to stay in the background, and it's okay, right? Like it's okay if if um, you say, okay, well, you uh, the O2 was leaking out. And you guys successfully stopped it, but you still have 70% O2, mm-hmm. right? Like that's still a problem, but it's not an urgent one anymore, right? Mm-hmm. That you have to that you have to deal with. And now you can go kind of do what you were supposed to be doing in the first place before more problems arise, Yep. obviously, right? 
Um, so number seven, and this is one of my favorites, um, especially as a DM, it says bring horrible death. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know how much I love uh, killing my players in, oh, in my yeah. campaigns. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, and this, I think, stems from the fact that I really cut my teeth uh, as a DM in Shadow of the Demon Lord, mm-hmm. where um, horrible death is just part of life in that game. And uh, you just kind of embrace it. And especially in RPGs that may be a little grimdarky, <laughs> you know, the ones that ones that are like known to be brutal and tough, like embrace embrace the pain, right? Yeah, and so let's take an example of um, of a game that maybe is not a grimdark one that you can still do this in, and that's in. Uh, <sighs> It's nearly impossible. We've talked about this so many times. It's nearly impossible to kill a character in Star Wars RPGs. Right. Just, just it doesn't happen. It, you know, it's not geared towards that player base. Right. But if so, think about that. So think if you're playing a game where no one has, we'll say, ever died <laughs> yeah. in the in this system for the most part. Um. And you get in a crazy, you know, crazy scenario. You know, you're fighting the Sith Lord who's got the crystal, you know, the special crystal with the embedded souls of five other generations of Sith Lords. You know, and you're fighting him and you just you roll horribly and the Sith Lord just brings down one of your party members. You know, that's going to be a, a ter- it's going to be a an encounter filled with terror um, but it's also going to when that when that finishes and when the blow finishes and when the player dies and when that encounter finishes off, there is going to be like almost a low valley of peace that comes across the players and those who left who remained as they you know in a role play fashion mourn the loss of their their comrade or whatever. It's going to bring down that cathartic release of the stress mm-hmm. of that scenario. And we're all friends, so the guy will probably roll another character and, and bring him in. So the next session, like everyone will be kind of okay and back to normal. But right. there's going to be that moment of kind of a cathartic release where the stress and the tension leading up to that Sith Lord battle has now come down um, in some form or another so that the party can kind of regroup their emotional state. So I don't think it has to necessarily be a horrible death. Right. But these games have to have stakes. And yes. this is this is one of the problems I have with the Star Wars RPG. It's like I, I really have no fear of death in that game. Right, right. I've tried to die in that game and can't <laughs> yeah, die I in agree. that game. But in games that I play where there is death, and it is very possible, those stakes are high, and it makes that meaningful. Right, it makes all of your choices meaningful. So bring it, you know, bring the death. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think I think you've got to. Uh, it makes games more interesting when. Uh, when those stakes are there, when you're playing for something, right? Like, and and you have to think, um, well, if I charge in here, there's a possibility that I die, right? Or if you're playing kind of a, a, a horror thing, uh, if I wander off by myself looking for something, there's a chance that I could die, right? Like, yeah. that's like a rule of horror genre, right? You just don't wander off by yourself. Y- yeah, you, you know? just don't. Right? <laughs> what was that noise? You guys go ahead. I'm going to go up these stairs. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's that's great. So yeah, I mean, I think I think death has to be a part of it, right? Or or the threat of horrible consequences. Horrible consequences may be a really good way to say it. Yeah, you it know? doesn't necessarily have to be death, but there have to be there have to be 
strong consequences to things. Right. Like you could go severely mad, right? And that, that could render your character almost unplayable because they are like literally in the loony bin now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's just as bad as like a horrible death in a sense, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. So the last principle that they have, they say reveal the universe. And it took me a little bit to kind of understand what they're saying here. Um, but I think that the key here with this one is that um, you need to reveal that the world and universe is bigger than what these players have been encountering, right? So, like, what if they do survive that little encounter with, like, a xenomorph, that they realize, oh, my gosh, there's lots of them out there. You yep. know what I mean? Like, oh my gosh, this is just the beginning of something bigger. Um, and I thought Shadow of the Demon Lord did a decent job with that of, of allowing you to like basically say like, yeah, you did this one thing in this one city, but this it's much bigger world out there. I think Cthulhu, Call of Cthulhu is very good with that, you know, because your players realize, oh, there's a supernatural world that we had not seen before this, right? Yeah, so... Um... This reminds me in uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, there is a device called the Total Perspective Vortex. <laughs> it's a machine that was built specifically to show uh, lesser creatures the the um, vastness of the universe around them. And so, like oh, right. you know, you stand in this machine and it, it basically says here you are and then here is everything else and the thing about this machine and of course in Douglas Ad- Adams fashion like everyone who goes into this machine comes out madman because right, they just you right. know their brains can't process it but the even more funny thing about this is that the entire machine i think is the entire machine is powered off of a single slice of cake <laughs> so it's just like the absurdity of you know this absurdity of of your life compared to the vastness of the universe and the insignificance that you have in the larger in the larger um uh, uh existence around you uh i think does a good job of instilling a sense of maybe not terror or fear but right. awe uh, A-W-E, right? Awe yep. of, of the unknowable things that are still waiting for you that are out there uh, beyond what you just went through just now. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, like, I'm thinking of the alien IP, right? Uh, and, and the movies. Yes, yeah, so we're, we're, uh, we're stepping away from uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh yeah, sorry. Okay, no, I'm, <laughs> uh, I, I'm thinking that was of the my moment, cathartic release. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking of the moment where, um, like Ripley may have figured out that there was something much bigger than you know than them, right? And um, I want to say it wasn't until Aliens when she realized that that colony was like gonna be like completely demolished. That she realized it was a bigger problem. Um, I think probably in at the end of Alien, where she put herself in the you know the sleep, 
she was just trying to survive. She's like, holy crap, yeah. there's this monster. Yep. Um, somebody just come rescue me. And then in Aliens, she finds out, wait, 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 wait. There's a whole, like, we colonized the planet with those things on them. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, and, and then, yeah, and then going back very shortly in the beginning, just, you know, her famous quote of we should just nuke them all, right? Yeah, nuke them from the orbit. Un- nuke them orbit. Yep. It's the only way to be sure because it's like, dude, there's something bigger here. Like, well, we got to search for survivors. No, we don't. No, we don't. Yeah, and and she also throughout the movie realizes that, oh, this was a whole plan to like weaponize the xenomorphs, right? And that was like a bigger bigger event that kind of led led to some realizations as well. And there's character development there, you're right. Yeah. She at first she's always just a nuke at all, and then she's like, "Wait, when we need to save Newt," and she goes all the way back down into the belly of the beast to save Newt and 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 bring her back up. So she has some character development as well to understand that sometimes it's worth the fight. It's not just the numbers game, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think um, the engineers are an example of yeah. discovering something that puts you maybe in an insignificant role to the vastness of uh, creation and all that stuff uh, that popped in um, uh, in the movies. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the interesting thing about this principle, um, the idea of like you know reveal the universe, is that it doesn't have to just be a horror genre or a fear based campaign mm-hmm. that you're doing to do that because. If you think about let, let's think about the Star Wars IP, right? Uh, Luke didn't realize that there was a much bigger, vaster world until like his aunt and uncle were killed, basically, and that like, well, now I've got to go out and see what's out there, you know? And and I mean, he kind of intellectually knew that there was stuff out there, but didn't really know it until he was kind of forced to know it, right? Um, so I think you can I think you can find this in a lot. I mean, this is like the hero's journey. Right, which is like you take care of. Uh, uh, this is a great example is Lord of the Rings. You know, they realize that um, uh, the hobbits realize that uh, there's some bad things happening in the Shire. Their whole goal is to get to Bree, to meet up with uh, with uh, Gandalf. And once they get to Bree, they realize, oh, this world is much much bigger, mm-hmm. and um, this is a much bigger problem than just running away from some dudes on black horses. Mm-hmm, you yep. know, yep. and uh, so you find it in any any genre, and um, but I think it's especially it, it hammers home the point, and I think this is why this is the last one in this in, in this aliens chart here. It hammers home the point that uh, your fear is well founded because there's a lot more out there that you haven't even seen, and you you already pooped your pants because you were so scared, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so better better go find a fresh clean pair, yeah. right? <laughs> so <laughs> so uh yeah so if anyway. you find out half your rations are gone they took your underwear <laughs> dig it <laughs> not my calvin klein boxers <laughs> um yeah all right so you know i think that that covers a lot of the narrative aspect of it right like how do you set the tone how do you set the stage how do you kind of play with that fear um and sort of that stress throughout the game uh, let's talk about mechanics, though. Yeah, and I think um, I think the narrative is probably the most important uh, there. But mechanics, like I said, can help players that uh, maybe aren't as imaginative or and that sounds a little uh, condescending, but 
uh, may, maybe need that tangible aspect to a game when they're sitting down at the table. Yeah. But uh, I think, um, you know, there's there's two types of mechanics, and we could probably hit this, you know, briefly. There's there's a mechanic that accumulates, you know, whether it's a, an, a stress score or a fear score that's building as you go. Then there's like, I don't know what to call it, but maybe there's just like single events where something happens um, you have to make a roll and then a fear roll of some sort, and then you suffer consequences based on the result of that roll. But then that's it. There's no lasting effect or accumulation of the event there. And I think that um, games where I have felt there is a true connection between yeah. mechanics and narrative have an accumulation effect versus just right. a single event. What do you think? I, I totally agree. Um, you know, we were talking just before the podcast about different systems that we have used that have sort of a fear-based mechanic, and you and I both were like, does D&D even have one? And uh, fortunately, I was able to grab my DM guide, right, and I pulled yeah. it out, and, and yeah, it's a, it's an additional uh, rule that you can play with that has it's an optional fear. Rule. It's an optional rule that you can play with that has fear and horror in it, but... What it says specifically in there is like if they come across something that ca would cause fear, if they come across something that would cause abject horror, make a have them make a roll, right? And so it is a one-time roll that you would do and be like, oh my gosh, I failed that roll, now I'm scared. Um, and I think I've used this in our um, Rhyme of the Frostman campaign. I think mm -hmm. I had you guys make a fear roll at one or one or two times, and uh, you know that makes you afraid, so that puts you in that condition. And uh, so then you have like, you know, disadvantages on certain things. You've got, uh, you know, you can't do certain things anyway. Um, you know, that puts you in a certain condition, but then you can always make the roll for it on your turn to stop being afraid, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and get that willpower back that, that you might need. Um, I don't know how I feel about like the, the one-time thing. I'm, I think like, sure, like if you stumble into like, you know, uh, Let's say you're 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 climbing down a rope uh, into a giant tomb where the Ark of the Covenant may be, and you fall down into a pit of asps. Yeah, like that seems like a one-time event where you should definitely roll to see if you're scared or not. Yeah, but I th but <laughs> all know? right. So let's let's take that a little bit further, right? Yeah, so for sure. The the thing about accumulation, I think, makes it better. Is it reflects your degrading state, mental state yes, in the situation. Yes, I agree. Yes. So if you if you fall down that rope and you're in the you know the that tomb and there's you know snakes all around you or whatever, you, yeah, you're gonna have a roll right then, right there. But then something's gonna accumulate on you so that you know it, the next time you move to the next room to try to get out of this place, you're gonna be more on edge, thinking there's gonna be more snakes or more things right. Right. that are out there. So the accumulation. Uh, which will make the next time you encounter something even more difficult to deal with because you're already on edge. That's yeah. more realistic to me, and that which which puts it more into a tie to narr narration versus just mechanics. I agree, and I mean let's let's take let's uh, let's pull this Indiana Jones thread through, right? Yeah, yeah. First thing he does, right, is he's like, uh, you hear Indy, why is the floor moving, <laughs> right? And he throws this torch down there, and he goes, snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Yeah. So right there, that's where an accumulation for Indiana Jones should have gone it's, it's up. It's starting. Yeah. It's starting, right? Like it's like, oh crap! Like he's already in that state of mind that you said, right? Um, next thing you know, he he gets forced to go down there, 
and he falls down and there's that cobra that just like like right in front of his face right oh boy like if that doesn't make you tense right um but that doesn't that's not even enough to get him over the edge though right he he kind of kicks some sand and gets a snake away and then he gets that little gas can and he's able to like make sort of a ring of fire you know mm-hmm. and he's yep. like okay like he's handling it a little bit but then that fire goes out um and uh and they kind of find it he's like i gotta find a way because the snakes are coming through the walls right so then he like breaks through the walls and and uh marion who's there with him is freaking out because she's watching that flame literally flicker out on the torch mm-hmm. that was keeping the snakes at bay yeah. and then he comes back from her and and she sort of like gets through the walls and I remember distinctly, she gets rounds the corner as he's kind of pushing her through the passageway, and there's a skeleton right there with a giant snake coming out of its mouth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And she freaks out at that moment, right? So this whole thing, which is you would not think that Indiana Jones is a horror film. I would never classify Indiana Jones as a horror film. But here was this ten minute um example of how to manage fear within this moment right yep where it ratcheted it up from the beginning and then um ended with her like freaking out because like she sees a skeleton with a snake coming out of her mouth like she was losing her mind at that moment totally. until he grabbed her and said come on come on come on like it's like you got to get out this way here it is yeah. you know somebody's passing away. their will checks <laughs> right exactly i mean of course he would not her <laughs> um yeah, so let's talk about a couple, you know, just briefly a couple systems that have kind of this accumulation. One, we should yeah. do, we should go ahead and mention Alien, the Alien mm-hmm. RPG, right, which yep. we've been just talking about. Right? So they have the concept of stress dice, uh, which which is actually a really cool mechanic because, you know, you accumulate stress for various reasons. But the yeah. when you accumulate stress, they add dice to your pool when you try to do things. So they can it, it can actually help you accomplish tasks. Right. By giving you a greater chances to get successes, which are getting sixes on dice. However, stress dice also have a special mechanic where if you get a one on a stress dice, then you could potentially panic. Yeah. So it's like it ramps up your ability to succeed, but also at the you know the cost of potentially making you panic. And the more stress you get, the more you could potentially succeed, but also the more possibility to do a panic roll. So I think that's a really cool uh accumulating mechanic uh in the game that I think as you play out. Yeah. yeah. I think it's very cool because um if you think about it right, stress can actually give you like clarity in the moment. Yep. Yep. Totally. Right? Because like stress can make you be like, okay, I need to focus on this right, one focus. thing and do it, right? Um and that's kind of what it's representing. But stress uh, if it goes too far will break your mind. Totally. And cause you to panic, yeah. right? So, um, and what I like about this with the with the alien thing is that you can get stress um, from things that don't make you scared necessarily, mm-hmm. like yeah. uh, not being able to prime an engine correctly can yeah. give you stress dice. You can right? put, and you you know, there's a mechanic for pushing your luck uh, if you fail a roll, but you haven't panicked. You can try to roll it again, and that adds a stress. So, there was also the there's the kind of the fear stress. But there's also the kind of pushing your limit stress that can yeah. add in into this game. Yeah. So I, I like it. I like it because um, if you are on edge already and you're having trouble getting an engine started and it doesn't work the first time, you're going to start to freak out a little bit. 
Yep. And not maybe because you're scared, but because you're just starting to be like, things aren't going the way that they are planned. Mm-hmm. Oh, come on. You, you know, know, you're banging the wrench. Like, come on. Yeah. So I, I think it's a cool mechanic. I think it's and, and a great accumulation because in theory, you could have like 10 stress dice in there in theory, yeah. right? Like you probably won't ever get that many, but you could get a whole bunch in there. And like, I, I'm pretty like, sure you, you get up to that amount and you're going to panic uh, yeah, one right. way or the other. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so another another cool. system, uh, real quick, is Mothership, which we talk about a lot. It also has a stress mechanic that yep. a stress score that builds, and as that stress score builds, every time you get stress, you have to make a check. You have to roll over your score. So as you get more stress, there's the pot, there's a greater chance you won't roll over your score. And when you don't roll over your score, you have the potential to panic. And panicking in Mothership is very bad. That's uh, when the fun starts. Yeah, that's it really is. So it's very bad for your character, very fun for the player. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So I like that. I think, you know, um, and you get stress really quickly and a lot in Mothership. But there yeah. are also Mothership also has the ability to remove stress, uh, just like Aliens has the ability to remove stress. But you have to kind of – you have to have a moment's grace to actually step aside and focus on, on removing it. But – so it's kind of the same as the aliens a little bit, except stress and mothership never helps you succeed more. It's always detrimental to you. Right, right, but, exactly. Uh, yeah, but uh, what about, what are some other ones? Um, so uh, one thing that we talked about before was Shadow of the Demon Lord. Oh, yeah. um, this was one of the first ones that I encountered where you had an actual, like, insanity slash madness mechanic mm-hmm. built into it right because you really didn't have that when i played D. you don't really have that in star wars you know some people think oh maybe you're um strain maybe you're strain but i i wouldn't i wouldn't count that as a pure insanity slash stress it's, uh, not, it's not really because you can spend you can get your strain built up all the way to the bottom you know almost completely spin on your strain and it doesn't really change the way your character behaves until you hit that last digit which just makes right. you pass out Exactly. Um, so in Shadow of the Demon Lord, like I said, it was, it was one of the first ones for me that had this kind of insanity mechanic, which you could call it a stress mechanic, absolutely. Um, you know, if you if you fail fear, um, fear checks, if you fail or if you see some horrific things that happen, you know, you need to make willpower rolls. And if you fail those rolls, you will accumulate insanity. And if your insanity ever meets your willpower score then you go mad and uh, they came out with a supplement later on that um, had long-term madness and short-term madness and so you know you would roll um 3d6 and if you rolled uh like between a uh, three or between a four and uh like a, a 12 or something like that you ended up getting um short-term madness and between a 12 and 18 I'm probably making numbers up here. Uh, between a 12 and 18, you get long-term madness. If you rolled the three, you just died. Um, <laughs> classic Shadow of the Demon Lord. Um, but, yeah. uh, you know, then you roll a D6 at the end of that, and you would subtract that number from your insanity total. So, really, like, let's say if I had a willpower of 12, um, if I, you know, if my insanity got up to 12, I'd go mad. Um, something would happen. I'd roll a D6. And uh, let's say I got a three. Well, that would just bump me down to nine. So I'm really close to going mad again if something happens, right? And so um, mm-hmm. it's pretty uh, – I think the insanity mechanic works well in Shadow of the Demon Lord. I think it's part of the fun of it because there were some interesting quirks and things that happened when you did go when you did go mad. The, um, there's one part about the insanity score I really think is great, and that is 
Every time you gain insanity, you become frightened for a number of rounds equal to your new total right. of insanity. So that means, you know, as you're accumulating this, you know, it's having, it, it's not just a one-time roll. It's like, you know, in, maybe in another system where there isn't an accumulating effect, it's you come across something that's frightening. You just roll. It's the same roll you did last time against the same stat you did last time, and you're just as capable as beating it as you did last time. Yeah. You know, whereas there's no degradation in your mental state, whereas in, in Shadow of the Demon Lord, it's, you know, you may still be capable of passing that role, but if you fail it, it's going to be much worse for you than the first time you failed it. Right. You're going to be even more frightened because you're just like, man, I just cannot catch a break. And then, you know, your character is really going to be, be frightened for, it's just, man, this world is just turning against me. And it's just, it's, it's a good way of tying a narrative uh, for the the crumbling uh, feeling of safety that these characters have in kind of these grim dark games, yeah, and and um, what I like about it is that there is a lasting effect there, right? I mean, for a number mm-hmm. of rounds, so you know that has real consequences. You can't take a fast turn, which means you are stuck taking slow turns, which means you go in near the last of the order. Right, in terms of initiative stuff, like there's monsters that could go before you. It's going to change the way you play the game if you know you have a high insanity and there's a much larger consequence. Yep, and uh, you have an automatic bane in everything, right? Mm -hmm. So um, sometimes what's interesting is like uh, if I'm a fighter in Shadow of the Demon Lord, I get bonuses if I can roll my um, if I can roll my attack with a boon. Well, if I have an automatic bane and I have a uh, and I have a boon built in, well, those two cancel out. I don't get yep. my bonuses anymore. Yep. You know, because you're scared. So I think that there's some really interesting consequences in Shadow of the Demon Lord with insanity that happen that um, aren't necessarily on the surface. Like you have to almost play it to to get it too. You know. Yep. So. Um, yeah, I mean, we talked about D and D. We talked about Star Wars. I don't think that those have fear mechanics. Per se, um, I mean, we talked about you know how you have that one-time roll, but they don't have that accumulation um, in there, and so yeah. you can you can kind of like put it in, sure, but like I just don't think it has the same oomph. Yeah, we're talking, and we're talking kind of about um, systems that have them baked in. Like you can always yeah. just be one of those GMs that says, you know, you know what, um, because you failed that roll, you're going to have disadvantage for the next uh, you know hour or so. Right. Which, you, you know, and I guess there is kind of the ability to do that in D&D, but it's not necessarily like a, a baked-in mechanic that is going to be consistent across the board for all GMs and all all scenarios that you play. Well, I, you know, I remember running the Shadow of the Demon Lord campaign and, and having some of my players ask me, um, what can I do to lower my insanity? Because I'm afraid I'm going to go crazy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you just you wouldn't have that in Dungeons and Dragons because it's like okay, well, in an hour it'll be done, yeah, and 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 that's it, right? And so, um, for some of the players, I mean, you can give them a quirk, but some of them, I said, all right, well, you need to go see this person, and that was a little quest unto itself, yep, that they could go do something to help lower their insanity. Yeah, you I mean, it's the beauty of RPGs, so, right? It's yeah, you you can no matter what system you're playing, you can always tailor it. For yep. for the narrative the narrative story that you want to tell, yeah. So obviously those those systems that have them baked in a little bit they probably are a little bit more um, prone to allowing the narrative to help drive kind of that fear as well. 
Um, I, so, for example, I think that if you're playing Alien versus um, probably Starfinder, I haven't played Starfinder yet. Um, that's one of my Gen Con, <laughs> one of my Gen Con sessions that I hope to do. Um, but I, I assume that if you're playing Alien versus Starfinder, and there's no like stress mechanic in Starfinder, but there is one in Alien, the narrative is going to be much easier to ratchet up that fear and that stress than it is in a Starfinder campaign. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think you have to be more deliberate if you want that in some of these uh, non-horror or fear-based games. Um, You can absolutely do it. I'm not saying that you can't, but um, you you have to be even more, you know, like I said, deliberate about planning that in there and making sure that the mechanics match the narrative of what you're trying to do. Yep. So um, I hope that this uh, helped all of you think about what kind of fear you can put into your campaigns. Cause I think fear is such a primal emotion that we can fear that if you do, uh, that, that, that we can feel that if you do it well, um, that will provide a lasting experience for your players. You know, like they will, they will walk away being like, wow, that was, uh, that was an intense session in all the good ways. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we liked it and, and man, it was kind of freaky and I didn't think we were going to make it, but somehow we did. And, you know, they get, they get that cathartic release that you said in the end. And that's a very, very memorable, uh, emotion that they will tie to the enjoyment of the game. Yeah. So, um, hopefully you took some good things from that. Uh, if you guys know some other RPGs that have some great fear-based mechanics in that, let us know. I'd like to check them out. I know that we have uh, Vassen, right, which is uh, also from Free League Publishing, which is kind of that Nordic folklore horror. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there's other ones out there that are that are that you guys think are great, let us know. Uh, hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up on Facebook. Um, we'd love to hear what you guys think about um, putting horror into, you know, fear, I guess, fear and stress into your uh, RPG sessions. And if you've got some good ideas, uh, please let us know. So thank you for listening and, um, you know, keep the dice rolling. Have a great night. See you.